Welcome to the Zeitcast. My name is Jonathan Martin. So glad that you're here. I only need a couple minutes of your time. Really? This is going to be brief. I wanted to follow up on something I said in the last episode, because this is something that's been brewing in me for a while that feels like it demands further exploration. I was talking about how, and I see this narrative playing out, maybe a better way of saying it, I see these conflicting narratives playing out over and over again, where a group of people will assert this is what dominant culture is saying. This is what broader culture is saying. We're the ones who are being really marginalized. And part of the way that I would want to cut through all of that smoke, you know, I talked a bit about asking the deeper questions. So, for example, in the way people think about sexuality and marriage, I'll hear people talk about their belief in what they would call traditional marriage as being a minority view, like they're being persecuted somehow. Okay, actually, actually, here's the dominant culture view of marriage. Here's popular culture. And this is something that transcends any of the other categories. You know what popular culture really says? Here's dominant culture. You are defined by whether or not you're successful or whether or not you're a failure in romantic relationships. That that defines you. That becomes who you are. Now, I say this as someone, and I can't wait for y'all to get to know Nicole more so. What an incredible gift. I wish everybody I knew could experience the kind of love that I get to experience now. It's so profound. It's so humbling. It's so wonderful. Marriage is such an extraordinary thing. But this idea that is prevalent, that's dominant culture. That's broader culture, is that these relationships are everything. And success or failure in them defines us in some kind of an ultimate way. So no wonder the stakes become so high in those conversations when this is everything. Something I drove by in that episode that I really felt like needed to be unpacked a little bit more. Paul in Ephesians 5 gives us this wonderful, and it is lovely, it is elegant, and honestly, this is Paul at his uh, poetic best. Eugene Peterson does such a lovely job of translating this in the message. I'm not going to read from there right now. But it's where Paul is describing the love between Christ and the church. Uh, and poetically, he's, he's giving us the imagery of uh, bride and groom. So as he gives us this image, actually, I, I can quote that from the message. Uh, this is a huge mystery, and I can't pretend to understand it all, but what's clearest to me is that this is how Christ loves the church. And it is an image, of course, not quote anymore, of mutuality. It is an image where there is surrender both directions. There's self-sacrifice, and um, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful image of reciprocity 
Same way we get when we talk about the, the Trinity. It's a wonderful image. So see what's happened often is because we get that image there and scattered throughout scripture, there are other beautiful references. We get it in the Hebrew Bible. These references to Israel, these references to the Jewish people as God's beloved. There is broad kind of language. Hey, I, I love all of that. It's gorgeous. I would never want to take that out. But I feel like we don't reflect deeply enough on the fact that this is one metaphor, just one image of many images that describe for us what it means to love God and to be loved by God. It's just one access point. Not only does the same Paul who gives us this incredibly elegant poetic description of marriage as metaphor in Ephesians 5, not only is he unmarried, brags about it, says, I wish everybody were like me and able to be free to be part of this broader work of uh, doing God's, uh, God's kingdom or God's kingdom work in the world. But we, there are so many other images and metaphors. Now, this is going to sound silly, but think about this. Because on the one hand, while I do believe marriage for many of us, yes, there's the, the level of vulnerability, the level of exposure. Come and come alongside this other person and be fully exposed. Come find out, come get a little tiny taste of what it's like to do life, to live life alongside someone, and in this raw, vulnerable way to be seen and known and yet fully loved and all of your vulnerability and frailty and awesomeness too. Like, yes, I do think that's powerful. Yes, I do think it's uh, come, come and have a little taste of what it is to love in the way that God loves. It's wonderful. But how many other relationships are given to us that illustrate this love through scripture? Um, Jesus as shepherd, Jesus, God as friend, and, and look, I'm not just riffing here. It's everywhere. Um, for example, for me personally, one of my favorite images of God and what it is to have a relationship with God is God as shepherd. I love Jesus as the good shepherd. I love the shepherding imagery in that way. Hey, since I know many of you out there love God too, don't you love it when Jesus comes along as the good shepherd and shears your wool. Don't you just love that? <laughs> and you would say, no, that sounds really, really weird because you know you're not a sheep and you don't go around by buying and you've never been shorn by Jesus. You understand it's a metaphor. It's one aspect. It's one way. It's one image, a beautiful image that communicates something of God's tender care for us, but you don't feel like you actually need to be a sheep in order to experience God as shepherd in the same way while there's wonderful imagery of God that is marriage imagery, you don't have to be married in order to experience that, to taste that, and even to experience it fully. So to bring this full circle, what it would be to push back on the dominant culture narrative would be to say, hey, 
I'm part of a thing. I'm part of a community where whether or not you are successful in this kind of relationship, there is room for you because these relationships are not ultimately defining. And I feel like there's such an invitation that, in fact, it, actually, I think it's 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 kind of heartbreaking because I feel like these different images of God and the love of God in Scripture. The idea is that they're supposed to stir up our imagination, so that our view of God and our understanding of God's love can become more expansive. How sad when it becomes more constrictive. I had a friend who was in a. I'm not going to call this name to not implicate him in this situation. He was in a, a ministerial training course where the teacher was saying that the definition of theology, the function of theology, I should say, I guess, is to establish borders and parameters for how people can speak about God, can believe about God. I just, oh, you know... I believe in borders and parameters. We do different kinds of borders and parameters at different points in the journey. But the idea that the function of theology is to establish borders and parameters for how people can speak about God or believe about God. Shouldn't the function of theology be to blow some of those borders and parameters up? Because most of the time our ways of thinking about God are way too wooden, too contrived, too small. Come on, folks. Uh, the the these wonderful images that we get from scripture are an invitation into something bigger and wilder. So that's one thing I want to say, and I am getting in, getting out. But really, the other thing is maybe hoping to model a little bit how we could think about some of these deeper, broader questions beneath the question, uh, especially when. I hear a lot of folks trying to leverage, oh, we're the ones who are really in the minority here somehow, or our beliefs. One could contend that so long as you think that you have to be uh, you have to be married and you have to have this kind of relationship. I, mean, I, I hear this from single people all the time, single people, divorced people who feel like this, the church has no place for them and no place for their story. Cause you know, uh, unless you find someone where magically it seems like your story is all sorted, then there's, there's no room for you because there's one script for how this works. Well, yeah, because this is how Christ loves the church. Do you really want to be incomplete and not know how, you know, the, the way that Christ loves the bride? Yeah. Like you'd be any more that you would be incomplete and not know the full love of God if you don't become a sheep and know what it is for Jesus to roll around in the pasture with you. It's ridiculous. Um, so I, I just think that there's room for some of these images to open us up. And, and it's so sad. Look, I'm not being um, avant-garde here. These are obviously poetic images. They obviously just give us multi different facets. God is the father in the prodigal son story. God is shepherd. God is friend. Uh, we do have plenty of, heard me talk about it, maternal imagery for God in the Bible. How sad when that language becomes rigid, legalistic, confining, and instead of expanding us, it becomes another form for legalism. And all the people then that use the marriage 
imagery and of metaphor in scripture to become some legalistic view of, of talking about uh, God's design for marriage. Well, I hope today that you can taste something of the love that opens you up, fills you up, and sets you free. That is all I have to say about that. Hope you all have a good day. Thank you.